Hello, Midwestern Marks listeners and viewers. We have a very special episode of the podcast today. Uh, we are speaking with Ugopnik, a, a comrade and a fellow YouTube creator. Um, we've been trying to schedule this for a while. Uh, we live in different parts of the world, so it's been difficult to get the timing correct. Um, but we're finally sitting down here to, to have a little conversation about socialism um, and Marxism. So how are you doing today, Ugopnik? Hey, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. I have always been a fan of uh, your content and I've been watching you since pretty much, you know, you started. So yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm doing pretty well. Uh, obviously, the time zones are a tricky thing, especially because we're literally on the polar opposite sides of, of the planet. Uh, but we managed to figure it out somehow. So yeah, I think this, this should be fun. For sure. <laughs> Yeah, so I wanted to start the conversation. Uh, you recently published a video that I thought was really cool um, about how to survive under capitalism uh, as a socialist or communist. Um, and it was kind of tailored to, to surviving in our current stage of capitalism, um, 21st century capitalism. Um, obviously, uh, a lot of giant tech companies and giant tech conglomerates are uh, consolidating more and more power. Um, and it's changing uh, kind of what the world looks like a little bit. So what do you see as a major difference um, in modern capitalism compared to the capitalism of the last century or, or maybe the differences in, in Fordist capitalism or the industrial kind of capitalism that Marx was looking at um, and what we have today, which is uh, still capitalism, but, you know, neoliberal capitalism, as I said, a lot more focus on, on tech companies consolidating their power and control, at least here in the West. Um, so, yeah, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, an important thing that everybody should touch on when they compare the different stages through which capitalism has developed is uh, how much capitalism has actually contributed to certain positive or negative aspects in that given period. What, what am I trying to say? So if we're looking at the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, uh, the industrial boom, standards rising like crazy, especially in the West, uh, people learning about uh, newer and newer types of uh, material goods that they can consume, uh, you know, some people being able to buy a house, have a lawn in front of the house, buy their first car, buy their second car, etc., uh, etc. Et Those were all periods of capitalism in which there was something new that capitalism could offer the everyday consumer and the everyday person, something that can actually be brought forward, which will directly or indirectly increase their, their standards or not. We have reached, you know, what people like to call late stage capitalism at this point, where uh, quite literally everything that capitalism is doing is repackaging the absolutely same products that it has been selling us up until this point and repackaging them in a way to tell us that your identity, my identity, our listeners' identity is directly linked to consuming said product. So yes, the main, the main sort of thing that we are kind of driving towards is uh, not consumption for consumption's sake, but quite literally living to consume and living to uh, identifying through the way that we interact with the system, which at the end of the day is a continuous, uh, you know, material uh, gain to one extent and complete lack of access to material gain on the on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, so that's what, why I, what I kind of touched on uh, in the video where I introduced this very simple concept that a socialist who understand that the system is 
corrupt, crooked, and absolutely does not work. And as people who understand that we as the working class will never be treated fairly by be it our employer, our governments, or our uh, direct, you know, different societal structures in which we exist. And I introduce this sort of uh, call to action in which I say, you know what, if they're fucking us, we're going to fuck them back to an extent which should in a way help us increase our own personal standards while existing in the system. So at the end of the day, yes, it's a 25 minute video, but it pretty much says uh, there is, you know, no ethical way to exist in capitalism. So if you can screw over your boss, your employer, or whoever in order to get your life a bit more uh, straightened out, then fucking do it, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I noticed something similar with neoliberalism. Um, Marx talks extensively about how the mode of production can only change to a new mode of production um, when the technology is available to do so and when the means of production have, have improved themselves and increased to the point that makes the previous property relations no longer make sense. Um, and then move to new property relations to, to be the only way to continue, uh, continue moving forward and, and continue making advancements in production. And right now under neoliber neoliberalism in the West, the, the technical, um, our, our, our technical <laughs> ability to produce is massive. And, and as uh, Paul Cockshot has laid out and as Hakeem has laid out, um, companies like Walmart have, have kind of developed on their own the centrally planning, uh, the technology needed to centrally plan an economy. Um, so it's almost like we've hit this stage of neoliberalism or, or of capitalism, um, where we're no longer actually advancing the productive forces, we're no longer clearly advancing society as we were under Fordist capitalism, like you were explaining. Um, and it's now, uh, they're, as you said, they're just repackaging new things, and there's an increase in consumerism and you know, there was a study done and, and people in the West, uh, despite the fact that everyone works over 40 hours a week, um, the average person only spends 12.5 hours working um, because there's not that much to be done. Uh, so while you have this this proletarian class of blue collar workers um, who are taking on these these horrible jobs, or not horrible jobs, but really labor intensive jobs in areas like concrete or, you know, blue collar industries, agriculture. And then there's an entire class of people in this sort of managerial class um, uh, who aren't, who don't, you know, have as much work to do. And it's almost like our, our productive forces have increased to a level um, where we need to move on to new property relations. Obviously it's different for countries in the global South um, who have an industrialized agriculture and, and obviously imperialism has played a role in holding the productive forces in the global South um, uh, and stopping them from increasing themselves. But at least in the West, as you said, the onus is on the working class to, to have an uprising against this, this capitalist bourgeoisie, this oligarchy, um, who's, who's actually now preventing us from moving forward and preventing us from designing productive forces that are going to combat the climate crisis while improving the conditions of the proletariat. Um, and, and for me, you know, like you said, the only way to, to move past that is for the working class to realize, you know, we are getting fucked. And the only way to not get fucked is to fuck these guys, to, to take the capitalist class um, who's, who's been using the productive forces only to increase consumerism and <coughs> only to increase their own profit um, uh, in, in creating equal misery for, for the working masses of society. Um, and, and to, to take them out of power and replace this, the state with a worker state. And obviously this is kind of the old thesis of Marx, you know, but that's kind of my point is like, 
the the current stage of neoliberalism, the current stage or, or late stage capitalism that we have is different from Fordist capitalism, but it still stems from those same relations that Marx analyzed in Capital, you know, in the fact that capital in the productive process has complete domination over labor. Um, so they've allowed society to grow into this consumerist kind of um, kind of what we've been talking about here, where, where the, the productive forces are, are through the roof, uh, but the working classes who actually put their labor into, into advancing those productive forces have very little access to the means of subsistence. Um, and then, you know, there's just an increase in consumerism, an increase in the advertising we're bombarded with to try and sell us crap to maintain these extremely high profits, cost of living and things like rent are shooting through the roof. And yeah, I mean, the only the only option or the only way to stop that is the same thing it was in the 1800s when Marx was writing is for the working class to overthrow these these corrupt uh, parasites who are currently in power. Exactly. I could not agree more. I mean, it's come to this point, which is so ridiculous that pretty much uh, the main argument that capitalists are giving us for why the system is so glorious and so beautiful, because, you know, material wealth will increase because of competition in the free market, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Excuse me, but uh, nobody even owns shit anymore. People are even buying their phones through a loan. People are buying their computers through a loan. I'm not even talking about houses or, or cars. People are buying uh, food through fucking loans. At this point, absolutely nobody can afford almost anything. And it's to such an extent that not even only the proletariat, but even the bourgeoisie who owns, you know, uh, businesses, owns companies, and in certain cases, corporations, has to enter into a loan relationship with banks in order to survive this constant necessity for capital growth and for increased profitability. I mean, the, every single aspect of uh, uh, what is supposed to be so brilliant about this system is absolutely falling uh, lower and lower. And uh, nobody seems to really even notice or give a fuck except for specifically, you know, uh, socialists, Marxists, communists, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and uh, to one regard in one regard that's uh, you know that, that shows that still the marxist analysis of the world is uh, the most uh, based in solid material scientific truth compared to pretty much all other types of uh, answers towards uh, you know how the system is run today like degrowth and like uh, oh yo let's all just be vegans or the hippie movement in the 70s and 60s all of those movements started and died off but marxism in general as an idea is the only thing that offers true true criticism of the system and therefore offers true solutions to where the system can go and where this uh, and we're the point at which the system can be obviously overthrown and replaced uh, replaced with something else. So uh, as compared to, you know, capitalism in the 60s, 70s, 50s, and even the bloody 30s, right? And if we're talking about the West, though, we can talk globally as well. Uh, at least capitalism, capitalism was delivering on something, right? Nowadays, it's not delivering on shit. And to a very large extent, as I previously previously said, to the proletariat. But funny enough, it's starting to even fuck the petite bourgeois, which is quite literally getting uh, proletarianized and eaten up by massive corporations like uh, used Walmart as an excellent, excellent example. 
but we can drive this conversation towards something very interesting uh, that you said about uh, giant corporations starting to use centralized planning inside of their superstructure, uh, corporate superstructure, and how it's extremely efficient and how it works really well. I mean, this drives the point that Mark said, you know, the, they're going to sell, the capitalists are going to sell you the rope you will hang them with, quite literally, because uh, Amazon, Walmart, et cetera, et cetera, are quite literally creating uh, systems uh, which can at one point quite literally be used by the proletariat to govern itself afterwards. And uh, I think it's just uh, mother of irony how from one side it's giving us less and less, and from the other side it is actually introducing ideas that can be used by the socialist movement, uh, ideas, concepts, whatever you want to call it, systems. <clears throat> yeah, it's sort of like they're almost digging their own grave and uh, Carlos, our co-editor, and I would say this all the time during the Bernie campaign, we're like, if these ultra mega or ultra wealthy oligarchs like Bezos and the Walton family who own Walmart were smart, they would let Bernie win and they would let social democratic policies be implemented. Because after the 40s, you know, uh, the at least in the US, we had the largest number of wildcat strikes um, at any other time in our country's history. And all these labor movements who essentially created what's called the middle class or, you know, the petty bourgeoisie or even, you know, the labor aristocracy, as it's sometimes called. And that's completely disappeared after 40 years of, of neoliberalism. Um, so now you sort of have an increasing wealth gap and uh, these corporations who are so big, um, as you said, they're design or they've designed these uh, essentially uh, central or central planning mechanisms uh, that are designed to increase their profits, but of course could be adjusted to to. Um, centrally plan the economy as a whole to make sure that rather than rather than to make sure that Walmart is maximizing their profits to make sure that everybody is is getting what they need um, to survive, uh, which is something that Paul Cockshot lays out in his uh, Towards a New Socialism, which I recommend people read. But yeah, it's like they're digging their own grave. And then I'm reading Capital um, for my second time here. I'm almost finished with it. And you see Mark's like predicting here. It's a pain, man. It's a fucking pain. Yes, please continue. <laughs> it uh, is, but it's it's very illuminating. Like you were saying, it is, the, it is. the Marxist analysis is the only thing that's scientific or the, the closest thing we have to a scientific analysis of society. And it makes things so much easier like when you look at the the rise of right-wing populism with donald trump in the u.s and then you look at what's going on in europe uh where all this right-wing populism is is um becoming popular and all this anti-immigrant immigrant sentiment if you look at the marxist analysis it's like you know you could have predicted this it, when when the the wealth gap becomes so intense and when power and, and wealth and capital becomes so concentrated at the top and you have a working class who doesn't have the marxist analysis who doesn't have an idea of how they can materially improve their lives people are susceptible to right-wing populism and, and when someone like donald trump comes along and says the immigrants are taking all your jobs i'm going to bring them back and end the wars you have a lot of working people who are like all right sounds good to me because i know the the democrats aren't going to aren't going to do anything for me i know the liberal party aren't going to do anything for me um so they're susceptible to this this right-wing populism um but the only the only way to improve their lives is worker organization and then you know to actually change the relations of production to seize walmart and and to seize the the capital of the capitalists um uh, their their position of control in society um and also as, as we were saying this um technical ability that they've developed on their own to to plan the economy and to move to new property relations um and, and better uh better relations of society and again talking about marx's uh 
materialist scientific analysis. This is something he was very clear about, like feudalism or uh, Southern slavery in the US. Uh, these modes of production prior to capitalism furnished the technology that allowed capitalism to become the dominant system. And now you see the same sort of, sort of thing happening where as Walmart is increasing the amount of wealth they have in comparison to the working class and in comparison to the people who consume their goods, um, they're also creating the technology that we need to move to new property relations where Walmart, um, at least the, the people who own Walmart are completely useless. Exactly. Though there's a, there's a bit of a difference between uh, the periods in which feudalism developed to a certain extent, after which we slowly moved into bourgeois society and into capitalism, and also, you know, the, the, the point that capitalism eventually, inevitably, will have to evolve into, into another system or turn to complete barbarism. Uh, we don't really have time to wait for eventually. And that's because obviously we live on a finite planet and resources are running out and the planet is literally dying, not the planet is dying, but the planet will eventually get rid of us in order to uh, continue its uh, millennial existence. So it, it falls down to socialists like yourself, like myself all over the world to speed up the process through which capitalism decays as uh, much as possible and no i'm not making some sort of accelerationist point here all i'm trying to say that is that it's no longer even a question of uh, socialism or barbarism it is literally the question of socialism or death and uh, i don't know if you've seen but the massive wildfires in central africa and eastern europe right now in the country where i'm at like half of it is literally on fire uh, what we've seen in LA, what we've seen, seen in Australia happen, it's also currently happening in South America, uh, is kind of uh, bringing this global crisis to people's literal front doors. It was really funny to watch, I mean, it wasn't funny, it was a horrible event what happened in Germany, I don't know if you heard, there was a massive flood and literally hundreds of people died. And a lot of the Germans that they were interviewing, uh, their first reaction was like, I'm used to seeing this happen in Asia, but 300 people dying in Germany from a flood? I can't believe this is happening. What, what, what am I trying to say with this whole thing? It's that uh, the, the most privileged and in many cases, the absolutely imperialist powers are slowly starting to see the consequences which a lot of people in the global south have been living for literal decades. Uh, and I hope it will wake up uh, people and push them more towards the left than it will to the right. But we can definitely expect, uh, you know, uh, as you said, the right-wing populism to even grow further and further because it is going to be fueled further and further by more and more problems, which will obviously be blamed on different minority groups, foreigners, other countries, et cetera, et cetera. This combined with the obviously uh, slowly bubbling uh, new Cold War, which is very directly uh, pointed uh, towards China, uh, is pretty much going to give a lot of ammunition to, to right-wingers, very easy to define problems uh, from their perspective, uh, which unfortunately the left as uh, a scientific methodology uh, cannot afford to. So that is why it's extremely important for us 
to yes, when we are discussing, and probably a lot of people already watching this are already socialists, et cetera, et cetera, we can dive into, you know, the more detailed stuff without, you know, using layman's terms. But for, for a lot of people, if we genuinely want socialism to, to develop as an adequate both movement and uh, option for the future, uh, the everyday man, the, the actual working class, the proletariat needs to be uh, recruited faster and better than, than uh, the right recruits. And unfortunately, uh, right now, the right, at least in the West, is absolutely kicking our fucking ass. But I have a lot of hope in uh, newer generations, which uh, thankfully are getting, let's just call it, I don't know, a better education system than what ex existed before, and are coming to uh, much wiser conclusions than their... Uh, forefathers and foremothers, et cetera, et cetera. But history will tell. We will see where it goes. There are currently existing, at least from my perspective, some might disagree, and that's absolutely okay. There are currently existing socialist experiments that are going to show if they're in it for the long run eventually, or you know, they will obviously uh, potentially betray the revolution or whatever. Uh, we need to have hope in them, but we also need to be building the movement uh, movement at home because for every single person that we do not turn into a socialist they will eventually become a right winger why because again the world is fucking dying problems are going to be increasing rapidly and there is not going to be such a thing as a centrist in 30 40 years trust me <laughs> true <clears throat> and the trump uh transportation administration published what what chomsky and i'm not the biggest chomsky fan but what he called the most shocking document in human history where they said essentially the world is heating up so fast that there's not much we can do to stop it without radically transforming society so therefore who cares we're just going to take off all regulations and just keep going um and obviously that kind of illustrates how dire the situation is again not to sound like an accelerationist or a malthusianist but there have been in a, a large number of climate of uh, climate induced uh, storms or tropical storms and wildfires, things like that this year. And scientists are telling us this is because of, of increased heating. So it, it comes to what Rosa Luxemburg said, like you were saying, socialism or barbarism or, or even socialism or the complete destruction of the planet. And it, I'm thinking of recently uh, or just a few days ago, Vijay Prashad. Uh, went to the book talk or the, the book release of David Harvey's most recent book. And David Harvey essentially said two things. He said, there's no such thing as imperialism anymore, or imperialism is too broad a word to describe what the U.S. does. Um, and that, you know, there, there's no moving to socialism because capitalism has grown too big to fail and too powerful to fail. And Vijay critiques him one saying, hey, David Harvey, you live on, on the other side of imperialism. So it's easy for you to say imperialism doesn't exist uh -huh. living in the West. Um, and then this idea that capitalism's too big to fail, as we were talking about, you know, one, capitalism is increasing its inequality as it destroys the planet. So that's going to increase, you know, revolutionary fervor. And then for someone like me, who's just getting into Marxism in my 20s, you know, this might sound cocky or arrogant, but, you know, we've amassed or I've amassed a large following on TikTok and Midwestern Marx has amassed a large following of class conscious people because of hard work that we've put in, hard work trying to reach people, hard work trying to win, trying to defeat the capitalist class 
um, as the working class. And when I hear people like David Harvey, who have been around for 80 years and have left the world in this neoliberal state where, you know, the planet is being destroyed. I think David Harvey is a great academic, but I don't really want to hear this nonsense about how there's, there can't be socialism because capitalism is too big. Because I want to be able to have children, David Harvey, and I want to be able to have a sustainable planet for the generations that follow me. Um, and when I hear Western academics who are comfortably comfortably paid and in a comfortable position being like, yeah, I like Marxism because it allows us to analyze things like climate or the climate crisis. Um, I just don't think we can do anything about it, right? I don't think we can move to socialism out of capitalism. It's like, I don't want to hear that, one. And two, if maybe if people were putting in the hard work of actually trying to win and actually trying to reach people, you know, rather than just taking comfortable positions in academia, um, maybe we could win, you know, maybe we could organize the working class to stop the planet from being destroyed. So I get really frustrated, especially with Western academics and um, the thing I have no tolerance for at this point in my life while we're facing the, the climate crisis is post-leftism. This idea that we can never escape capitalism and we might as well give up. I don't want to hear it. I think uh, that's pessimistic. And, uh, you know, maybe we don't have a chance to win. But I'll tell you what, we absolutely have no chance to win if our leaders are telling us we have no chance to win, right? If the main people who, are, who people follow and look to for advice on Marxism are telling us that socialism is impossible. That's ridiculous. And it's basically condemning the world to being destroyed. So I really, Vijay Prashad went and, and told off David Harvey about that at his book launch while wearing a Lenin shirt. Um, so I thought that nice. was, was awesome <laughs> and, and a, a, a critique that needs to be made right now. Absolutely. I mean, uh, nothing happens for decades and then the world can change in a matter of weeks. Obviously, I butchered that quote, uh, but it, it is exceedingly uh, depressing to see nihilism come from the perspective of uh, people who self-identify as Marxists, because at the end of the day, yes, sure, even if you are having, you know, a pessimist streak in your life and uh, in your analysis of the world, as, uh, as a materialist, you should understand that uh, sharing your opinion, which is, again, extremely negative, uh, with uh, potentially revolutionary young people in middle, mid, you know, adults, uh, will do nothing but uh, but quite literally hurt hurt the movement. So, uh, you know, he put easily, he should have just kept his mouth shut and kept his opinion for himself because uh, that sort of opinion literally does nothing except uh, fuel more uh, power towards, you know, capitalists, analysts, journalists, et cetera, et cetera, who, uh, you know, can over-exploit and continuously point to this specific academic as a massive critic of this or that. I mean, that kind of even happened with Trotsky to, to one extent, but that's a, that's a conversation that would probably take seven podcasts on the podcast episodes on themselves. Uh, but yes, it, it, and there's this new thing, I mean, a relatively new thing, which uh, is pretty much the commodification of absolutely everything. And to one extent, I noticed with a lot of Western comrades, that they've kind of commodified even the identity of being a Marxist, and they use it as this sort of uh, shield against uh, any sort of uh, action that they might need to, uh, to actually partake in in order to change the world. What am I trying to say? A lot of people think that it's absolutely enough to just call yourself a Marxist. Well, I'm sorry, but Marxism is not a religion, and it's not just about belief. It is about act 
acting in the material world and trying to instill class consciousness in others and eventually lead towards a better material state for the working class. Therefore, uh, commodifying it and just using it as, uh, as you know, oh, I am, I am a Marxist uh, in the same way, I don't know, people like to say, oh, I only eat uh, organic chocolate uh, and I only buy you know, uh, locally. Uh, is not uh, is not uh, the way to go because it quite because uh, it, it quite sadly completely demotivates you in a, in a way because you tell yourself okay look at all of these normies everywhere that are absolutely not doing anything that probably don't even know who Marx is but I oh me smart man understands uh, how capitalism is fucked up and what needs to be done and because I understand I've already done enough. Uh, for the movement so you know this is that's a whole thing uh, which you know expands into uh, movies books etc etc where we for example fantastic film like parasite uh, i don't know if you've watched it uh, fantastic uh, piece of cinematography extremely class conscious etc etc but after i watched it uh, I didn't feel like working on any of my videos or talking to people about Marxism for the next two weeks because I already got uh, the gratuity, you know, from uh, just watching this thing and saying, oh, my God, I am I am such a class conscious individual watching class conscious uh, uh, movies, talking to people about class, you know, about Marxism. That's that's, you know, where all my activism, quote unquote, all my revolutionary activity, quote unquote, finishes and uh and it's kind of it's kind of a dangerous thing especially with for example stuff that we do i mean you make tiktoks you also make youtube videos you do the podcast i make my youtube videos i do twitter or whatever uh at one moment uh, we are risking the very real uh you know issue which is we might be creating and overextending with our videos to such an extent that yes, it might radicalize a lot of people, but those already radicalized, it might turn them into, you know, kind of sleeping giants that feel like everything that they need to do this week when it comes to Marxism is, you know, watch Ugopnik or, or watch, uh, you know, uh, Midwestern Marx. And it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing that is developing. I don't know what your opinion is, but to, to me, it's kind of scary to be honest. Yes, I've noticed it 100%. The way I've been describing it, as I say, Marxism is becoming a trend in the West. So my friend actually sent me a tweet this morning. It was like um, someone was amazed by the amount of people who will say they've read a book and then haven't read the book. But now because Marxism is a trend, you know, it's cool to say I've read Capital. It's cool to say I've read all these theory or these books of theory. And you kind of feel dumb or, or in, in, you know, uh, less you don't you lose uh, part of that superiority complex that a lot. I have of a theory that nobody has ever read Capital. Absolutely nobody has <laughs> ever read. I'm kidding. Yes, please continue. Uh, dude, I write that in my notes all the time as I'm making my way through it. I'm like, nobody's ever read this. Nobody ever talks about this. But you know, and it's how like, many rolls of linen, right? <laughs> and it's it's like so. Then if if people are claiming that they've read books of theory when they really haven't. 
what is the purpose of reading theory to people? Is it to change the world? Is it because they believe in these, these books of theory? There's a scientific analysis of the system we're living in. And by learning it, that it's going to be easier to change the system. Or are you trying to read through books fast so you can brag about it online? Um, and it's something definitely with the online culture. And another thing I've noticed is, you know, and obviously I'm probably, I probably am overexposed to this side of leftism that we're talking about right now or Marxism because I spend so much time on TikTok, which is a lot of kids, but there's, there's people who are like, um, attack, there were people for a while attacking me, people who call themselves Marxists because they said I was recruiting too many conservatives to Marxism, or I was recruiting too many people who didn't have the appropriate views, or they had some backwards views. And I'm like, again, with that, I'm like, okay, so is Marxism a trend where we all get together and we act like we're the smartest, most morally correct people ever? Or is it, you know, an ideology where we try and win the working class and draw them away from their backwards views um, and, and show them how they can, uh, through class struggle, can materially advance, you know, the, their conditions and, and change society for the better? Um, so, yeah, I see definitely an increase in people who just like to put Marx in their Twitter bio. And then, you know, on top of that, I'm constantly saying, you know, I'm assuming that everybody I'm talking to is also organizing in their community, right? Because it's not enough, as you said, just to watch TikTok or YouTube videos and be like, okay, I'm a Marxist now. And I'm seeing it again. I recently put up, uh, or we, we donated $100 and we're trying to organize people um, to show solidarity with these Alabama coal miners who have been striking for four months. And there are all these comments like, you know, coal is bad for the environment or, or aren't, <laughs> didn't, don't these workers in Alabama vote Republican? And I'm like, that doesn't mean you don't show solidarity with the, the coal miners, right? One, it's not their, the climate crisis is not their fault. And two, they're, they're showing class solidarity and advancing class struggle. You shouldn't back away from that and, and look at that as useless because the state that they live in voted Republican. Um, so yeah, lots of negative things that I see um, in this trend of, of Marxism becoming so Sort of a social trend how dare you help someone if they don't drive a prius i mean <laughs> if we if, if we start digging into every single uh, working class person's uh, biography uh, we're gonna find some shit there no matter who we look at because literally nobody is a saint uh, so uh, we need to kind of understand that this is a mass movement which uh, necessitates pretty much at least 51% of the working class to be on its side. So there's going to be a lot of people that uh, kick dogs in this movement. There's going to be a lot of people that uh, uh, stalk women online. There's going to be a lot of shitty motherfuckers who are unfortunately still a member of the working class and who will, again, unfortunately, be necessary in its struggle and in its uh, development uh, and growth and yes ex-conservatives are one of those a lot of even ex-fascists make some of the most radical uh, you know socialists afterwards even though a lot of ex-socialists make very radical fascists but yeah uh, so this th th just the whole discussion of uh, who we should uh, try and recruit and who we should uh, not try and recruit is uh, not a materialist analysis that just uh, playing with the liberal moralism, which has absolutely no place in uh, 
and kind of the, 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 the world we are trying to create at the end of the day. I mean, Marxism is looking at the labor relations between people in a given society. And then it proposes a way through which we can change those labor relations so that they are better for the people who are actually creating that shit so that the world can develop to an extent and to a level in which, you know, no hierarchy, no class, no money, et cetera, et cetera. But to get there, we're not, it is not a pursuit of, Oh, capitalist man, uh, bad, immoral. That is why I fight capitalist man. No, capitalist man is doing what he needs to do in capitalist society in order to live better because nobody wants to live like a pro. It is the system which needs to be rooted out and changed based on material analysis and not, again, I'm sorry for repeating myself, but I want to like plug this into people's heads, not just uh, petty morality of uh, man A good, man B bad, so we should be with uh, man A. Oh, those guys are digging coal, therefore we should fucking forget about uh, every single one of them. Oh, that person, I don't know, eats a lot of dairy, uh, ruining the planet, we should get rid of them. Oh, that guy drives a, drives a truck that, I don't know, you, you Americans, fuck, your cars spend too much, but okay, that's the, <laughs> it's a different thing, like 50 gallons per 100 kilometers. 50 miles. Uh, if, if we really want to start and uh, push people away from our movement, I think we will end up pushing even ourselves away. So uh, this is not uh, the what should be preoccupying uh, our minds uh, at this stage of uh, developing the socialist movement in general. It's even very silly and cringe to me, but yeah. It is. Yeah, we call it, we've been calling it bourgeois sentimentalism kind of in my groups, kind of this idea that, you know, Marxism is when I move the farthest left. So I have the most moral and correct positions on anything. And anybody who doesn't take my morally correct positions is therefore wrong. It's like, no, Sigma that is Marxist. What's that? I'm sorry for the Sigma Marxist. Sigma Marxist. You're not an alpha beta. You're a Sigma Marxist. So Marxist, you don't want to do anything. Oh. <laughs> That's so funny. A Sigma Marxist is a Marxist who's so Marxist, they don't interact with their community at all. They're, they've completely transcended above their community. No, it's like we're saying it, Marxism is scientific. So at the relations of production, you have the capitalist class who owns and the working class who doesn't. So you could have the nicest banker in the world, you know, who, who owns uh, 20 banks in your town. He could be a nice guy, but because of his, re uh, his relations to the means of production, he's still maintaining the horrendous murderous, imperialistic, uh, unequal system uh, versus you could have someone, um, you know, a, a worker who works for a company that gets financed by that bank, who's kind of an asshole, but, you know, he's willing to strike and he's willing to fight for the working class. And as a Marxist, you know, that worker who's kind of an asshole is much more useful to us than, than uh, um, the banker who seems like a really nice guy. And, you know, nobody's saying let's throw, you know, workers who have anti-immigrant racist positions, like into positions of power in all our movements but like you said you know a lot of people because the capitalists own the media and the news a lot of the working class is indoctrinated with backwards views and once they get around people struggling for socialism a lot of those views tend to you know they tend to work through them in their brains which is the the dialectical view that people are capable of change um and and yeah i mean it yeah it's just the worst thing you can do to just write people off um because uh, because you feel that you're morally superior to them, I believe. Absolutely on point.
For sure. Um, I want to ask maybe one more question here. looks like we've been going for about 45 minutes. Um, but what Have are... It passed really quick. It did. We've been having a good conversation here. Um, so one more question. I'm, I'm always talking about things that are specific to the United States and specific to our struggle for socialism. Um, and, and even more than that, we focus on the Midwest. That's why we're Midwestern marks. But um, in, in your area, what are some specific things uh, you see maybe as issues or specific things that you would like to see the working class uh, uh, doing to advance class struggle? Or yeah, just, just talk about some of the specific conditions to, to your area so we can inform some of our audience here. Sure thing. So for whoever's listening who doesn't know me, I am from the Balkan Peninsula, which is southeastern Europe, pretty much, where there was this beautiful socialist internationalist experiment called Yugoslavia, which co collapsed in a bloody murderous uh, chaos during the 90s. Uh, so when it comes to the left in uh, regions where the socialist movement had uh, fallen, if we can use that term, uh, we have a very specific uh, political environment in which uh, any talk of even the slightest of left-wing politics or introduction of said left-wing politics into the mainstream is completely ostracized, seen as authoritarian, and uh, looked down upon both uh, by uh, you know centrist liberals as well as conservatives and obviously fascists. Uh, as Yugoslavia was falling apart during the 90s, and not only Yugoslavia but uh, the wider, but also the you know Warsaw Pact countries, uh, Soviet allies. For those who don't know, uh, a lot of Western capital. Uh, political capital was welcomed in those specific regions, specifically targeted at creating center-right or even far-right parties, which will populate the parliaments and not allow the socialist or communist party to reestablish itself and get back into parliament through, you know, now new uh, parliamentary elections. So what this did is move incredible incredible funds in a lot of information a lot of uh, free pr uh, towards right-wing parties towards right-wing ideas towards uh, free market uh, ideology towards embracing capitalism as this new sun which will dawn upon us after we have suffered for so long in you know under the disgusting reds etc etc which uh, after 30 years at this point has implanted itself so hard in the minds of the absolute majority of people uh, living in this part of the world that you have this extremely ironic situation Situation that the flag bearers of the revolution, the, the, the nations and peoples which were one of the first ones to uh, fight for this glorious idea, of course they had their faults, of course they did some phenomenal things, etc, cetera, etc, cetera. but it's extremely sad to see uh, that they are now, uh, I would argue, places which are going to see uh, the socialist revolution last. Uh, because of all of the factors which I previously pointed out. I mean, it's uh, so messed up to an extent that uh, even parties that still to this day 
have the word socialist in their name and that have inherited, yes, sure, some bad stuff, but a lot of good stuff from, you know, the previous, you know, main uh, and only uh, communist party uh, are now only socialist in name. And I'm not saying that like for the, the analysis of Democrats in the US, oh, they're not really progressive. They're just the same as, uh, as the Republicans. No, I'm saying they are really not socialist to such an extent that they share 100% of the same policies as their center right or even far right colleagues, Some very often sharing in extremely homophobic, anti-immigrant rhetoric, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, the situation is very dire for the movement, though I see young people uh, kind of uh, starting to question uh, the Western idea of uh, what it was like to live in these places. And I see a lot of younger people uh, actually talking to their grandparents and parents about was it really bad and uh, actually starting to listen to them when their parents and grandparents talk. Uh, so they are starting to realize, you know, that 20th century socialism was not was not uh, as bad as uh, people from Burgerlandia say it was, but also they become more and more people who potentially will want to build, uh, you know, socialism in the future in the local regions. Uh, that is the only people I have kind of uh, some uh, hope in, uh, but in general, unfortunately, uh, the situation in Central and Southeastern Europe in all these beautiful, beautiful Slavic countries uh, is uh, in a very, very dire situation. Hmm. That's fascinating. And, and it's fascinating, too. We, we recently or I recently got into a back and forth about Yugoslavia, and I got the chance to talk to a lot of people who lived in the former Yugoslavia. And as you said, a lot of the older people who were there especially pre-90s, speak highly of it. And they, they talk about how much better it was back then as far as an economic system versus now. But I guess I want to get your opinion. It might seem a little petty, but this is the recent discussion we got in. So someone, a writer from our website in the Youth League tweeted, you know, Yugoslavia was a multi-ethnic uh, socialist state and Bernie voted for the NATO bombing of it. Um, obviously, as you said, what was going on in the 90s was probably, you know, a lot more complex than that. Um, than just to say, you know, it was a, a multi-ethnic socialist state and then Bernie voted for this bombing and it went away. Obviously, there was, you know, years of attempted IMF and World Bank infiltration, um, various things going on going on, on the ground, um, which, which maybe you can provide some more insight to here. But essentially, another um, DSA styles, you know, sort of social Democrat type socialist uh, called out Midwestern Marx for liking that tweet and said that um, the, the worst trend in the American left right now is people who will praise any country who's anti-American or people who will give solidarity to any movement just because they're opposed to the US. Um, and he said that our liking that tweet was an example of that. Um, so in my response, you know, basically I said, um, Yugoslavia was building socialism. Obviously, in the 90s, things got got pretty crazy, but a lot of that was due to Western influence. And I think uh, it's a worse trend um, to see socialists or people on the left 
um, uh, promoting regime change propaganda because of things they disagree with going on in various countries like China or the DPRK, rather than saying, you know, maybe we have our critiques of these countries, but we stand in solidarity with them. And of course, we stand against uh, Western regime change. So um, I guess what would be your takeaway from that? Or, or how would you respond? Or, or I, do you have any analysis of that back and forth I had, I guess? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it... Okay, so for, from one perspective, uh, I have like the bombs that Bernie voted for literally uh, dropped on the top of my head uh, multiple times in that period. But thank God I was very, very young, so I don't remember most of it. Still, was it a necessary military move at that point in order to stop potential additional uh, crimes being committed over a certain ethnic group or the other, it's a question that, I don't know, military analysts can go into, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, as a Marxist and an anti-imperialist, I see the bombing of Yugoslavia as one of the first modern experiments that the U.S. kind of put forth to see how their local population will react to uh, this new style of interventionism, which later peaked in Iraq and so on and so on. Uh, that whole war, while it was going on, was between very far right individual states uh, cut on tribal, uh, on the lines of tribal belonging, killing each other like, uh, like absolute animals uh, for sometimes good reasons, but usually for absolutely horrific reasons. Uh, so the intervention there was not necessarily an intervention against a leftist uh, or a socialist uh, country. So that, that there should be a distinction between, for example, an intervention in Bolivia, which has, you know, a, a social democratic government, et cetera, et cetera, and an intervention in, um, I don't know, current, uh, I don't know, Brazil, fascist Brazil. Uh, but uh, it does not mean that either of those should be encouraged because all data shows that at the end of the day, they do not bring any sort of solution to, to the local problems and only uh, work to uh, you know, heighten the, the tension and uh, make the flames rise even higher. So just put in one sentence, uh, inter military violent interventions don't work 99% of the time. And when they're being done by the state, which represents and protects the interests of capitalism and capitalists, then you should be even more additionally skeptical of it uh, than, uh, than any, other, any other state. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm happy to hear your answer on that. I knew you would provide some interesting context. That's super interesting that you were um near the bombings or they were dropped um did you say they were dropped on top of a building you were in um, i mean i was in the country while it was being bombed the city i was in was very 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 heavily uh targeted during the the bombing campaign uh but it's very sad that for, probably for a lot of people from all walks of life and from all corners of the world uh, to probably hear words coming out of, uh, you know, a Frenchman's or an Englishman's or an American's mouth uh, that uh, the violence they experienced on their own skin was necessary because we were saving you from X, Y, or Z. 
So you were saving me and yet you were hurting me. That kind of sounds like an abusive husband. Uh, and I don't think anybody wants an abusive husband or wife. Right. <clears throat> yes, that's a good way of putting it. Um, actually, I, I want to ask one more question here. And it's kind of a broad question, but you don't have to go too in-depth if you don't want. But um, I have not studied um, former Yugoslavia as intensely as I've studied a lot of other countries. I know a little bit about Tito, but it's one of the most common questions I'm asked. I think on the Wikipedia page for Marxism, one of the sects of Marxism that they put is Titoism. So I'm pretty sure when when kids go research Marxism on Wikipedia, they read Titoism and then they come to me and they say, what are your thoughts on Tito? Um, and I'm not totally sure, but uh, what are your thoughts on, on the original struggle for socialism in Yugoslavia and, and the policies implemented under uh, Tito? Uh, so Tito was a giga mega chad who lived in a cave during World War II and during the biggest conflict that has ever existed, managed to not only uh, defeat uh, the Nazis, but also create a new internationalist, very important internationalist socialist project in the middle of one of the most divided parts of the world, which just, I don't know, 100 years before uh, liberated itself from Ottoman imperialism. So just that feat on its own, uh, to me, is absolutely incredible. People distancing, for example, calling it Tidoism, I think that's similar to, you know, people just using whatever name, Trotskyism, Stalinism, et cetera, et cetera. And, they create, and if you do that, you can create uh, 5 million additional ideologies. Did Yugoslavia <laughs> have a different approach than the Soviet Union did when it comes to uh, organizing, uh, you know, uh, work, labor, industry, et cetera, et cetera, inside of Yugoslavia itself? Yes, it has. It would take two hours just to discuss the positives and negatives of it. It worked for a very long time for Yugoslavia, and that at one moment the contradictions which uh, this sort of uh, so-called worker self-management introduced did end up hurting the, the economy massively. IMF loans were taken. That was probably a strategically bad move, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to go into it too much, but my opinions on Tito are that he was an absolute hero of our people in our region, uh, and my opinion on Yugoslavia is that... Uh, in the Balkan Peninsula, life standards, um, sovereignty, um, levels of education, rights for women, uh, lack of conflict, lack of crime, uh, quite literally freedom of movement was never to, uh, has never reached the height which it reached during Yugoslavia. Huh. That is fascinating, um, especially to hear it from someone from the area when I, I've been discussing this with a lot of Americans lately. Um, so this is very helpful uh, and hopefully it'll be helpful for our audience too. Um, so yeah, we've been going for about an hour now. That's usually where we cut it off, but do you have anything else you'd like to discuss um, before we end it here? No, this was absolutely lovely. Uh, I can't believe an hour passed to be honest. Uh, we, I would love to do this again at some point. Uh, I, I sometimes live stream on my channel as well. Maybe you can jump in whenever you find the time. Uh, and yeah, thank you for your time. And uh, these were these were pretty cool topics. It it flew it flew very smoothly. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, it was a great conversation. So hopefully, I will be able to hop in some of your live streams. Um, I'll stay tuned there. Uh, do you have anything you want to promote before we head out? Uh, you got Nick on YouTube, right? Yes, you got Nick on YouTube. You got Nick on uh, Twitter. Uh, 
check me out. I make uh, pragmatic analysis videos of capitalism, socialism, and sometimes fascism. Um, check me out uh, and uh, have a good one. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for watching, everyone. And, and thanks for being with us. You got me. Thank you.